Welcome to Relation Fix, the podcast dedicated to creating healthy, happy, and passionate connections with our loved ones. I'm Shana Dubay, your host. Let's dive in. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back. We have a very special guest today. Hello, hello. It's Frank. It's He's me. He's back. Woohoo! Shady's back. Back again. <laughs> Yes, and I'm super excited about it, and it's a fun subject today, so this is a really good day. So welcome back for the episode. I'm very glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. So we lucked out, well, I lucked out at least, by all the storms and the snow that happened over here in New England. I was supposed to have jury duty today, and it got canceled. I was able to call out of work because of jury duty, and then jury duty canceled, so Yay, that's a big reason why I was able to be here snow today. Day! So, yes, it's the one time I actually appreciated the snow. Hmm. So, today's episode, I cannot wait to dive into this. It's all about why people do the things that they do. What are our basic needs? I use this information literally every single day with my clients and in my own life. It's really, really good. I am so excited. I think, random question, have you ever played The Sims? No, but my daughter has, so I've seen it with the, like the diamond over there. They head. have their needs, yeah. They have the hunger oh. and the bladder and fun and social. Oh, I love that. And they have the bars that go up and down. So that's what made me think of. That when makes I sense. Saw that this, that, and Maslow's, and obviously you're going to talk about other stuff too. With yeah, with definitely the T, with the TR man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean a lot of people, particularly psychiatrists, psychologists, people in the mental health field have been delving into why people do what they do for a long, long time. So this is going to be a good day. I'm excited for this. And yeah, don't forget that these episodes come out every Monday. So please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the amazing episodes that are planned for you guys. And please leave a review or comment or share. I'm not sure if you shouted it out in an episode, but Peter left an amazing review. We don't have it to read specifically but that was like an awesome review so i just wanted to say thank you personally thank you peter for that because it was really detailed and everyone should write a review like that yes it was so good and also i really want to hear your stories and experiences with the content so if you listen to an episode and you do the exercise that's in there let us know about it my goal every single week is to bring you as much information as possible that can help really actually change your life for the better, not just give you information. I want you to help you transform your relationships. And if we're reaching our goal in any way, I want to know. So don't hesitate to share, reach out. You can send us an email. You can reach us on social media. Of course, all the information will be in the show notes and at the end of the episode. But I definitely want to hear what you have to say. So let us know. Hashtag sharing is caring. Yes. (laughs) So today's episode, as we talked about before, are the drivers of human behavior, our basic needs. Tony Robbins, who I've talked about multiple times, he's sort of the master of understanding behavior, and he has done much of this work on the six human needs. His work in this area has really transformed my life and the lives of a lot of other people, which is one of the reasons why I knew we had to have an episode about this. It's so fundamental to relationships. Understanding these concepts can really help us understand why we act the way we do and why other people act the way they do. And this is something that 
a lot of people have delved into from psychiatrists, psychologists, philosophers. As Frank mentioned before, Abraham Maslow, he created the hierarchy of needs. So it's another form. The pyramid is a just another form of looking at needs and what drives our behavior. I wanted to kind of throw in there because I was in a therapy session was it yesterday mm-hmm. where I always thought, at least the way I thought I learned in school, was that you had to completely fulfill, let's say, the bottom, like the first section of that pyramid in order to get to the next one. And then in therapy, we we're kind of talking about how it's okay to work on each section. You don't have to necessarily do it in chronological order. Yeah, it's really interesting to look at it because if you kind of look at the base of Maslow's hierarchy, that idea is like, I have to have my basic needs met before I can ever do anything else, which I don't think is inherently incorrect. I think we do have to have food, shelter, you know, we have to have a place to sleep, we have to have our basic needs, water, like those types of things. So it makes sense that we would need to do that. But I do think that other than that, there are fluctuations into what we can accomplish. I do believe that we need our base functional needs that we have to meet. But within that space, there can be other things that, like love and connection that we work on too. It's not always exactly like follow these steps. And once you have these steps, then you're going to move to the next step. It's not always that way. It's kind of like the stages of grieving. You know, we yeah. all think they go directly in order, but they don't. You kind of can jump around. And I think that goes the same way with needs. I think I worried because my sense of security has been compromised growing up that I had to have that completely locked down before I could work on my relationships, before I could achieve self-actualization. Mm. And I, I think the only fundamental issue with that is, is that then you're always focused on security mm-hmm. and then how do you really reach other levels if you're focusing on, you know, security alone? Because it requires moving out of comfort zone. It requires moving out of that place of certainty space where I'm safe and everything is known. And actually, I I think it requires stepping out of that space in order to move towards the top of the pyramid. If we want to talk about Maslow, both things can happen at the same time. So if we think about behavior, why does anyone do anything? There's two basic reasons, to gain pleasure or avoid pain. And if you had to guess, Frank, which one do you think is more powerful? I've been asked this in the past, I think, (laughs) (laughs) on a past episode. And as much as I'd like to say pleasure, it would probably be pain. Mm -hmm. But I do have a question. Yeah. Is it possible to do both at the same time? Yes. Okay. I didn't know if it was almost like you. I Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt like people typically, some people typically do try to Mm -hmm. achieve both at the same time. I just wasn't sure if with this concept. yeah. In fact, when I'm attempting to set goals and reach goals with clients and we look at like a compelling reason why, we talked about that in one of the past episodes was like, what's your compelling reason? What's your jump in the river reason? When we're looking at that, I often tell them, what's something amazing that can be gained from this? And what is a pain that you're attempting to avoid? If you have both things, then you're going to meet both of those with this action, with this progression forward, with this growth. You can meet both things. But by far, avoiding pain is 
way more powerful. It's what motivates a lot of people. And they will stay in really terrible situations just to avoid the pain of the unknown or the pain of potentially getting worse. So which is why a lot of times we change out of pain and suffering rather than a place of joy and growth, because we wait till things are so bad, we can't stand that pain because we just, we want to avoid the unknown space. Within this construct, there are six human needs that we all have. These are six things that drive our behavior. We will do almost anything to fill our needs, including good things, bad things, and everything in between. We will even throw away our values just to meet our needs. This is why it's so important because we will often stop being really who we are, our best selves, in order to meet our needs. It can be really primal. As you can see in Maslow's, that base level, you will give up safety and security if you're starving. You're going to go try to steal something. You're going to put yourself in harm's way to meet those basic needs because it's a survival instinct. Sometimes these needs are really primal. Gaining an understanding of these needs gives you insight into your life, your patterns, why you do things, why other people do what they do. And the more you understand, the more you can see. What's the first human need? Certainty. Certainty is comfort, stability, safety. This is a powerful need, and it's one of the main drivers of over 90% of people's behavior. We need certainty. This is part of like Maslow's first two tiers. This physiological space, we need to have food, shelter, water, and we also need like safety and security. We need to feel like I have a certain degree of control over what's happening in my life. We all need certainty. It's a basic need, but we often look for certainty externally instead of internally. Certainty requires control. If it's a driver in your life, it's going to require that you control as much of your life as possible. If you're a person who has anxiety, oftentimes your internal world can feel really chaotic or really scary or very uncertain and you don't really know what to do. I've seen people create really specific routines that cannot be broken. They expect people to act exactly the way they want them to. They want the world to be as predictable as possible, which can you see any issues with this? <laughs> Life is inherently unpredictable. And so what are the odds that everyone is going to act exactly as you want them to, no matter what, and the world is going to be exactly how you want it to be, and you're always going to be in your routine? It's pretty low, and it makes life a pretty consistent struggle, and it can put a big strain on relationships, this need for people to act the way that they need to act. Would you consider certainty to be a negative need or simply just human behavior? I don't think any of the needs are positive or negative. I think they're just needs. Okay. I think that we can meet needs in positive ways or negative ways. I've seen, you know, a lot of times we had talked about this in the past, how women, sometimes when we feel unsafe or uncertain, how we can get into kind of a controlling thing. And we tend to like nag or be like, you have to do this thing this way because the uncertainty of our own safety in relationships, that can cause a lot of trouble. If you're trying to control the person that you're with, most of the time people don't love that. They don't like to be totally boxed in. And so when you set this 
this expectation that you're going to do exactly what I say every time I say it. And if you don't, there's going to be a problem. You know, obviously you can see how that could cause a lot of issues. But if you hit the need for certainty internally, then that is definitely a better way to do it. So the need for certainty, if you're if you're looking external, I have to have all my external world be exactly as I want. But instead you say, no matter what happens, I am 100% certain that I'm going to be able to make it through. I can figure things out. I can handle the things that that happen. I don't have to have control over these other people or these other experiences because I know it, I have faith in myself. I have certainty inside of myself that no matter what life throws at me, I'll be able to make my way through it. It's not really that the need could ever be positive or negative. It's just a need. It's how we meet it that can be toxic or healthy. Yeah, that kind of makes me think about how we can't necessarily control our environment or what happens to us, but we can exactly. control how we react to it. Absolutely. Uh, one of the exercises that I do a lot with my clients is called spheres of influence. And the idea is, is you have a small circle inside of a bigger circle on a blank page. And the little circle inside is things I can control. The bigger circle around it is things I can influence. And then everything outside of those two circles are things I can't control. And so when I'm writing this out with my clients, what I find is when you're writing things I can control, really the only thing that's in there is us. It's my decisions, my actions, my thoughts, whether or not I'm going to change my state, how I'm going to respond to other people. That's what we have 100% control. That's where our certainty comes from. So if certainty requires control, if you exact that control over yourself and the decisions that you make in your life, it's not about perfection. But if you reroute yourself to that, most of the time we worry about the things that are outside the circles, which is stuff we don't have any control over, which is other people, life circumstances. We don't have any control over a lot of those things, but we try to instead of rerouting ourselves back into the circles and saying, what do I have control over? What can I influence? And those are the things that I need to focus on. That's how you create certainty internally versus externally. So no running people off of the road. <laughs> I mean, I, I would avoid it. Like we can't control moving them out of our way when they're driving 10 miles yes. per hour. Road rage can be a thing. I It really can. But no, we don't have any control over that person. But we do have control over the story that we tell ourselves about the person who's doing that. Mm -hmm. And that is power because it can change your entire perspective about an experience. The need for certainty is also what causes a lot of substance use. If we see substance use, a lot of times it has to do with certainty because part of certainty is comfort. And when we're in pain, we often choose to numb it out. And it's definitely something that substances can give us when we're too hurt to face the trauma of what happened to us. I spent a lot of time working on an inpatient psych unit and I worked with a man for a really long time who had been admitted multiple times with really serious alcohol use. And he was really sick and getting sicker. He was admitted a lot. He had so much childhood trauma and he just didn't know how to handle it and had so much shame that he just drank it away. It took a huge toll on him and also the people who loved him. He had a daughter, but the comfort and numbing of the alcohol it was just too attractive for him to pass up. And I don't know where he is now, 
because I, I hadn't seen him for a while, but it's really hard sometimes to face up to those things. And we just want something to comfort us. Johan Hari did a TED talk called everything you think you know about addiction is wrong. So if you struggle with substance use or you've had loved ones who does, this talk is really incredible. It yeah. And it gives you a lot of insight into basically why we use substances and kind of what happens in that space for people to think about it very differently. So certainty is a really big one. That This one is something that drives many, many people. The second human need is actually the exact opposite. And that is variety variability, surprise, adventure, things that light us up, things that make us feel interested and inspired. When things become too certain, it can be like really stagnant and boring. So there actually has to be a balance between both things. As we saw with, you know, the anxious folks, their need for variability was met actually by the anxiety. So they have this like vulnerable, chaotic internal space and therefore, they don't really look for a lot of variability in their life because it's already kind of met by that internal space. If we were fully safe all the time and never had to worry about anything, we would be bored out of our minds. Well, I mean, yeah, when I had to start my new job, there was obviously a lot of anxiety. It was something different. It yes. was something new. Mm-hmm. It was, um, there's tons of surprises in retail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, revisiting that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so sometimes we can get, we can meet needs in ways that aren't really that great, but sometimes we can meet them in positive ways too. We can do things that are fun. We can go on adventures. We can travel. We can do all those things like, or we can do things that are riskier. Some people cheat. Some people steal. Sometimes, you know, I've seen people like do crazy partying and Mm -hmm. go out and do drugs and stuff. So we talked about substance use as part of certainty, but it certainly could be part of variety and variability too. And, you know, I would say bungee jumping or skydiving, that was very risky and not a, not a good thing to do. But I know that some people would disagree with that. They might think that's more safe, but not for me. I'm jumping out of a plane. But yeah, we need to have some variety, variability, some surprise, things to light us up to make us feel inspired and passionate. That's kind of in that space. I guess my example, I meant more in a positive way. Like it's worth testing the variety or the variability. I mean, don't like try to hook up with everyone's wife and (laughs) put the cheating route, but you know. Been there. Just kidding. (laughs) Well. (laughs) (laughs) We can meet our needs in lots of different ways. And sometimes, sometimes we have to learn. We move into growth uh, when we meet our needs in in difficult ways because there's also consequences. Number three is another really important one along with certainty, and that is significance or importance. We all want to feel important and significant in the world and to the people that we love. It makes total sense. We want to feel like we mean something, that our life is important. So significance is a huge driver for most people. And the thing about significance is that it requires comparison. So if certainty requires control, significance requires comparison. If significance is a driver of your behavior, you must compare yourself to everyone else. You have to be the most significant or you're going to be in pain. We see this all the time. I know this is something that I see on social media a lot. You know, I have to have a certain amount of likes or comments in order to feel good about myself. Well, do you think part of 
the significance is, do you think people, some people might think, what's the point of living if I'm not viewed as significant or important? Yeah, I do think that. I I think that what we really want is actually the next need, which is love. Okay. But oftentimes we don't feel like we're good enough. And so worthiness is a big piece of significance. Like I need to feel worthy of love and connection. I need to feel worthy of belonging. And so therefore I need to become something more than I am in order for other people to say, we love and you, we Mm -hmm. love you and you belong. Significance is often what we move into, especially if we have any issues with our self-esteem or self-worth, or we just don't feel good enough about ourselves, which is rampant in our society. So it's kind of a shame space. So significance, just like certainty, is not positive or negative. It's a basic need. We all need it. But if it's one of your main drivers, you're going to probably be in pain because it's going to require you to be more significant than anyone else that's around you. And for me, uh, significance was a huge driver in the past. I spend a lot of time, even now, still trying to shift out of it. When I was a teenager, this is not my finest hour. I was Whose was as a teenager, let's <laughs> right? be honest. Oh. Let's Why be are frank. The teen years are so hard. Oh, but for me, you know, with my friend group and especially in high school, I was kind of given the role as like the smart one, quote unquote, in our friend group. I was the whore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I <laughs> the We had one smart of those too. <laughs> whore, good looking. Yeah, we smart. had one of those too. Don't doesn't every friend Insecure, group have a, yeah. bully? victim of bullying. I don't know. I was a lot of things. I was like a lot of a labels. A lot of phases. I was a rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you a lot of labels. You your own rainbow. <laughs> yeah. So for me, like I, I had to be the smartest person in the group. Anyone who ever attempted to be smarter than me or said something that was smart, I literally would just cut them down to nothing. I would make fun of people. I'd make everyone laugh. And then that person like knew their place. And it, believe me, not my finest hour. It's like a terrible thing to do. But I needed to be the smartest so I could be the most significant because it became what I felt like was my identity. That was my role. That's the space that I needed to fill up in order to belong, in order to be loved and cared about. Significance was like my worthiness. And when significance runs out, we feel like we need to, earn our worth. We need to work for it. We're not inherently worthy of love and connection. And therefore we have to make ourselves different. So for me, it was like, I couldn't not know an answer. I couldn't not have a a good grade. I couldn't not have something smart to say about things. That's a lot of pressure. Oh, it's a ton of pressure, but it was my role because I wasn't the pretty one. I wasn't the, you know, the hot one. I wasn't a jock. I didn't have like any of those other qualities that I felt like I needed to have to stay in that group. So it actually became a really toxic trait for me because it was like, I have to be this thing, which didn't allow me to actually be authentic because I was so busy trying to be significant. See, I was the smart person in a group. Well, okay. Like I still have intelligence today. I'm not saying like I became the dumb (laughs) one, but I I'm guilty of acting dumb because it like wasn't cool to be smart, at least in certain social circles. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I had to be, I had to act dumb and be funny, almost like be the joke in in certain ways, because that was like, 
it's almost fit maybe an empty role in the group or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So you can see how significance ran in your life. So it went a little bit the opposite direction, but it was also like, I can't be authentically myself who is a smart person because I don't, I'm not filling a hole. I'm not filling a role that these other people are telling me it's okay to fill because I want to belong. I want to be in this space. Intelligence was intimidating. So I'm stupid. Love me. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in a little bit broader sense, when we think about the idea of fitting in versus belonging, we try so hard to fit in, but the idea of fitting in requires that we cut off pieces of ourselves to fit into a role that other people have decided is okay for us to fill. But belonging allows us to really bring our whole selves. And that's what we really want. But significance forces us or this need for significance. I need to be something else requires us to cut pieces of ourselves off and not really show up as ourselves. And that comes a lot from fear, the fear of not being accepted, not belonging. And that's a huge driver for us as humans. Well, I had a customer the other day that said, so they get, we don't sell a lot of clothes at the store I work at. And I'm not going to say the store I work at because I don't need people stalking me, but. (laughs) (laughs) but Except for me. Except for you. (laughs) Come visit that. No, anyway, (laughs) back to the point. So they, they were in line and they were checking out and they were buying some of the clothes for themselves, but they told me they couldn't buy the clothes for their son or daughter, I can't remember, because they'd get bullied because it wasn't like something that was $300. It wasn't the super big name brand. Yes, And it's like, if we look at the way that our society is set up and our cultural norms, our societal norms, it it encourages this type of idea that my self-worth is stitched to what I can be. And in this case, it's stitched to my clothes, right? Like, like, I need to show up in a way that makes other people see me as more important. And so you can see how significance requires comparison. So my clothes aren't as good as this other person's clothes, but it doesn't end at clothes because it actually ends up being me. Yeah. It's not just my clothes that don't measure up. It's now I don't. Oh, it's a domino effect. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you feel like you, you don't belong, you can't fit in like, in our, especially in our survival brains, like that's dangerous. We're meant to connect. We're meant to be in community. And so we will often do anything that we can in order to belong, which brings us to human need number four, which is really what it's all about, which is love and connection. This is the space of belonging because that's actually what we really want. We need love. Love is our evolutionary advantage. We weren't bigger, faster, or stronger than most of the creatures that we evolved with but we knew how to love. We knew how to form community. We knew how to belong. And if you were out of the group or out of the tribe, if you were ousted, that really meant death. And we have not evolved much past that. We still have this hardwired drive to connect and be part of a community. It's the base of everything. It's survival, joy, happiness. We really need it. But if you don't feel like you're worthy of being loved, that's when you're shifting back to significance. My clothes need to be a certain thing so that these people will allow me to, to fit in, that I will, I will be worthy of connection. It always comes back to that space. When I felt like I needed to be the smartest person in the room, what I really wanted was to be loved. I really wanted to belong. I wanted to be part of the group. I wanted to feel like I could just be accepted as me. But because I didn't, I I didn't feel like I was worthy of it. But what I really wanted was the love. And so it was a fear for me that like, if I wasn't the 
the smart one, I would be nothing. So these first four needs, the ones that we talked about, so certainty, variety, significance, and love are what we call the needs of the personality. And most people spend their lives concerned with these needs, particularly certainty and significance as their main drivers. And you could see how that can cause a good deal of pain. Everything must be in my control and I must be the most important person in the room. It's kind of like the perfect recipe for a painful life. Believe me, (laughs) I have tried it out myself for sure. It's a cake I don't want to bake. That is for sure. It's a painful cake full of knives and (laughs) bombs and (laughs) all sorts of stuff. Oh my God. It's the thing you don't want to eat. What store would they sell that at? (laughs) Need number five and number six are considered the needs of the spirit or the soul. Number five is growth. Everything that is living needs to grow. And sometimes that we can see that physically, but also emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. We are meant to grow and learn and change over time. We are not really meant to stay in this small comfort zone bubble space that our survival brain wants us to. Our survival brain wants to keep us in this small, predictable life, but our survival brain does not give two hoots about us being happy. Not even one hoot. No hoots given. No owls. (laughs) Exactly. There were no owls hurt in the making of this podcast. Hoot hoot. (laughs) It only cares that we're safe. It just wants us to be safe and secure and predictable. But the inherent problem with that is that if we're only ever safe, then not only are we bored, like we talked about earlier, but we we will never have the things that make our life worth living. Think about love. Think about the growth that it takes to be in relationship and to learn and change over time. It's super risky. It's something that's hard to do. To say I love you to somebody is always a risk. It's very vulnerable and growth takes vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It takes chance. It's horrible when they don't say it back, Mm -hmm. but when they do, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like that. And you have to be willing to grow and be vulnerable in order to move in that space. Relationships definitely test growth. If you're not growing together, you're dying. Stagnant place in a relationship is definitely not where you want to be. For me, like it took a lot of growth for me just to start this podcast. It's something that I wanted to do for a really long time, but I was scared. I was worried about failing. I was worried about what people would think. I was really being run by certainty and significance. I got to stay in my comfort zone. I got to make sure, like, I'm just going to talk to people who already like me. I'm not going to put myself out there, but I had to grow and step into the idea that being vulnerable is the only way that I'm going to really live the life that I'm meant to live. It's scary as hell. And I still get super anxious when I write and record, but I know that this is who I meant to be. It leaves me open for judgment, but it also helps me grow and find certainty inside myself. Even if I fail, even if it doesn't go exactly the way that I want to, it's risky, but it's worth the risk. And it's worth a growth. Yeah, it's a good risk. Not, yeah, absolutely. Not hooking up with everyone's wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I decided that that was not the growth that I was looking for. No. So we went in this direction instead. Feels feels healthier. That's like growth <laughs> and pain and lawsuits and 
Yeah. And, you know, Divorce physical settlement. pain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There'd be a lot of things Blows happening. Blows to the head. Yeah. No. Yes, exactly. We don't want that. Exactly. The last human need is contribution. So if growth helps us lead to happiness and love and connection, contribution leads to fulfillment. So we can grow but not be fulfilled. I don't know how many people who have made it to the top of the growth pyramid, like celebrities or people who were very wealthy, made it to the top of the growth game and were not fulfilled and ended up killing themselves. So many people that have been so successful and have been able to grow but do not feel fulfilled and they don't make it. They they end up deciding that leaving the world is a better option. Fulfillment is something that we really need and that comes from contribution. We need to give to something greater than just ourselves. You know that feeling when you give to someone else, when you help someone, it feels so good. It lights us up, it makes us feel connected and whole. If you're ever in a bad place or going through something hard, go do something for someone else who needs it and watch what happens when you show up for someone else. Your whole life will change, even if it's just for a minute, even if it's just for that span of time, your whole life can shift in that moment. When I'm in a bad place, I try to do usually it's Facebook, but any sort of social media anyway, that maybe even a text message, I will try to send some sort of compliment or nice thing to people when I'm in a bad place and it does yeah. sometimes alleviate a little bit of yes. the like darkness that's definitely over here. One of my favorite things to do when I'm scared or worried is do like random acts of kindness. Yeah. I like to do, if I go through a drive through, I like to pay for the person behind me. And what I hope is we have like a thousand person chain where everyone just pays for the person behind you. I don't know that that ever happened, but that actually happened to me once. I have done that countless times but someone did that for me once. And let me tell you, I was so lit up. I felt so good and so happy when somebody contributed to me. They didn't even know me. I was a stranger. I was just the person in the next car behind them. And, and so when you do that and you kind of think about what, what would happen for this person, or um, I had a friend who every now and then would randomly pay for someone's groceries at the store. Like It's just such a kind thing to do. And it really lifts you up, especially when you're in a bad space. We think of contribution and altruism as, you know, something that we do when we have a lot. But let me tell you, when you have nothing or you're in a really bad space and you do something for someone else, it can really boost you up. It feels really good. And I mean, here's the thing about these last two needs. This is kind of the most important piece is they're actually the gateway to filling all six of the needs. If you look at true growth and vulnerability, it leads us to certainty and variety. So we are certain that we're going to be able to grow and meet challenges that show up in our lives. We definitely get variety in growth because it's such a space of unknown. We don't know exactly what place we're going. We've moved out of our comfort zone. And also love and connection. Because if you grow and you work on your relationships and you move into that space and grow into a beautiful space together, then you you get to pull in that connection space with others. Contribution gives us certainty by helping us create an identity for ourselves of someone who is a giver, someone who has enough to always have something to give. So it creates a level of certainty about our identity and who we are. 
it also gives us significance because when you contribute to someone else and you feel that good in connection, when I sit with my clients, I feel significant because I know that I'm contributing to them, that I'm there for them and giving everything that I have of myself to help them learn and grow. And it gives us love and connection because contribution is all about connection. So they are really the needs that kind of light up the whole path. Why does any of this even matter? We're talking about relationships. This is my basic needs. Well, if these are basic needs of all humans, then you and your partner have these needs as well. Not only does it give you insight into why you're doing certain things, but you can figure out maybe like what the heck's going on with my partner? You know, what need are they filling? Or really anyone you're in a relationship with, you know, you can look at your friends and say, you know, what kind of space do I think they're in and how do I meet them with it? It gives you the ability to understand patterns and behaviors in yourself and others. We went on Facebook and we asked the question, what drives you? One of the biggest themes on there was people saying my children and loved ones. And some people had said that were like Stephen L and Barbara M and Patrick P and many others that seemed to be one of the most popular themes. Yeah. And it makes sense because if we're looking at, you know, basic needs, kind of what drives us, love and connection is a huge one. You know, love is the very base of kind of who we are. Also, you can see contribution in there. You can see significance in there. You know, you're taking care of the people that you love. Certainly there's significance and importance in that. Parents certainly play a huge role in in significance to their children, not only in physiological ways, but also emotionally, mentally, in a lot of different ways. We also had a couple specific comments. One was from Josh GB. He says, if I had a Tesla, I would say my car. (laughs) But what truly drives me is the thought that I might make a difference in someone's life. I love that. I That's a huge driver for me. I know Josh. He's such a good guy like that. And obviously, when we're looking at needs, contribution is a huge one. I know I'm going to make a difference in someone else's life. But you can also see, you know, the significance in that. You know, I, I know that I'm going to be able to make a difference. You can feel the certainty in that. Like, I know that this is something that I'm going to do. It's going to make a difference in someone else's life. I know who I am. And you can obviously see the love and connection in that space. Connection is such a huge piece of us. So, and Josh, I wouldn't mind having a Tesla either. I don't know how I feel like Elon (laughs) right now, but Tesla would be nice. I'll take one. I guess my question with contribution Mm. is that is part of it for selfish reasons and part of it for doing good. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's, it's interesting because I want to say yes But I don't feel that selfish is the right word, but I know what you mean. I just think about some people maybe solely do it just for like Mm -hmm. to make themselves feel better. But then if if you're doing it for the need to make yourself feel better or the need to make yourself look more important, like you can do things for other people as a need to to create significance, Mm. not certainty. See, that's a thing for me slide from contribution to significance so easy. It's a really slippery slope for me because significance is something that I've struggled with for a lot of my life. I know this now from how much work I've done, but you can move into a place of contribution where you're like, I really love this person. I care. I'm giving of myself without expecting anything in return. I'm giving to my partner. I'm in this place. Like it feels really good. But then as soon as your head kind of switches to 
what are they doing for me? Or I have to do this. I have to do this thing because if I don't, they're not going to love me. Or this thing is an expectation of me. Like I have to do this. You've shifted into significance. There's, there's definitely like a feeling difference that happens between the two, but it is a very slippery slope. Well, I've, I've gone into that space a lot. I have too, but that's mm-hmm. why some of the social media stuff I get conflicted with because it's really nice to see. And I know part of it is maybe spreading awareness, but then sometimes I question like, are they doing this for significance or, or, yeah. or is there a bigger thing with it? Because I've done nice things and family members and friends that I know, and they didn't have to record it to do it. I've just seen like... Some people complain about that, but then at the same time, the internet is such a broad place. Like it's an easy place to promote the acts of kindness and contribution. So it's, I don't know. Well, it's interesting to think about too, a little bit is we can do one thing and it doesn't hit just one need. Like we can do something where it hits multiple needs. And actually if you do something that hits three or more needs with that action, you will become addicted to it. We looked at, we talked about substance use a little bit and how that can be a comfort that can be used for, to fulfill the need for certainty, but it also can be used for variety. It could also be used for connection. If you're going out with a bunch of people and this is your group and that's what they do, you're in a space of connection. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so you can fit, you can hit multiple needs doing one action or one behavior. And if you do, then you can see how if you're in a space of contribution, then you're automatically become significant. For me, the difference between the two is, is what your intention is behind it and your emotional state when it's happening. If you're really in contribution, you're being lit up. You feel significant because you're giving of yourself for the benefit of someone else without expecting that there's a thing in return. Significance requires something in return, which is if I do this for you, then you're going to allow me to belong. You're going to allow me to be part of this. I'm going to earn my way in and it doesn't feel good. There's definitely like, I, I don't know if you've ever felt the difference, but like if you've ever been in a place where you're like, I, I'm so happy to give this person this thing. I just want them to be happy. I want them to light up. Like, I can't wait to do it. I do that if I like want to surprise someone with something oh, like, oh God, like it's just so good, right? Well, it's like with gifts, I sort of keep track, you know, I'll talk to someone, get to know them more and kind of keep track of things that I know they would really enjoy or like, because it would yeah. be nice to be able to add to that yeah. happiness in their life. Mm-hmm. Contribution inherently leads to significance. Mm-hmm. Which is not a bad thing because we all need significance. It's it's a basic need. But it really depends more which one's the driver. Because with significance, if that's your driver, you're going to be in pain. Which one's running that Tesla? That's what I'm saying. Like, it could be like, I just, I love this. I'm trying to be an electric car, be better for the earth. I, you know, you could just be enjoying yourself and having a good time. Or if you're like, I I look better, like the clothes thing, the clothes Mm -hmm. example is, you know, I look better and more important if I'm driving a Tesla, people are going to think better of me. And therefore you you can feel the difference. It's definitely an emotional difference. Certainly. That was a good question. Thanks. Chock full of them. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The other comment was from Rich S who says fear of failure, hands down the number one driver in my life, whether it's being a dad or a leader or a provider. Oh, and paying rent. That's a big driver, too. Mm. 
I mean, so you can a hundred percent, anytime we're, we're seeing fear, we often meet fear with certainty, right? Because fear, um, certainty requires control and fear is the feeling of being out of control. It's the unknown. It's very vulnerable. It could also be, you know, growth space in there as well. Like how do I need to grow in order to overcome this fear? It takes courage and vulnerability, but definitely fear of failure. I mean, that's a huge one for me. I fear of failure is big for a lot of people. This idea that I have to live up to a certain thing. So you can see the significance piece in that. The certainty piece is I need to make sure that I have my rent paid. I have my bills paid. I have to make sure that I have these stable certain things in my life. But you can also see the significance is like, I, I'm a dad, I'm a leader, I'm a provider. I know that I need to measure up to this particular thing. And also contribution is in there. We just talked about contribution and significance kind of being connected in that way. And it's a little bit of a slippery slope. So you could see how he could potentially be in one or the other. But that that fear is, you know, a huge driver. Remember, we talked about at, at the very beginning, avoidance of pain. I was just going to say failure is something we definitely want to avoid. That's a pain that yeah, can that's a pain that takes yeah. lives at times. Oh, very much so. But the thing is, is that failure is one of those things where if you step into growth and contribution, then failure can transform into something different. Oh, definitely. And then it's, okay, like I failed at this and this really sucks, but I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it and make sure that that doesn't happen again. So I'm going to succeed where I'm going to learn or maybe both. And you know, you get to pivot, you get to change what you do in the face of failure matters. Oh, definitely. Certainly with, especially with, you know, having a writing background, just like authors that I know rejection failure is such a common thing. James Patterson, if people are familiar with him, he only has like Mm -hmm. 800 books now, but he was rejected 86 times before his first book was published. He could have gave up after the first 10 rejections and we wouldn't have any of those books that are out there. And now, and look how wildly successful he's been. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. One of the podcasters that I really love, Tim Ferriss, he has written several books at this point. And when he was first putting out the four hour work week, I think it was something like 57 rejections he had or 47 rejections, like this huge amount of people that said, no, they were not going to publish his book. And he's been like, really successful in the podcast world and in the book world. And he just kept going. And for me, when I think about that, I moved to a place of contribution. So when I talked about having to grow and, and really challenge myself when I was going to do the podcast, I moved into contribution and growth as much as I could, because what I knew was the information that I want to share with people, it helped to transform my life in so many ways. And I just wanted everyone to know. I want everyone to have beautiful relationships and feel good about themselves and live into such a beautiful place that I knew I had to do it. I had to contribute to something better. This is what I made for. This is what I meant for. And so I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm Hopefully it's going to continue to do well and we'll kind of move forward, but you don't know. It's an unknown space. But if you move into contribution, like, what am I risking by not talking about this? How how am I hurting people by not sharing this kind of space? Then failure looks different, has different quality. Well, I think that's why people's responses help 
us remember, or at least you remember that, hey, this is actually, people are listening. This is actually affecting people. Yeah. Because then we get to see, you know, is, is what we're doing positive for people? Is this actually helping people? So that feedback is amazing for me. I know, I know you like to read them too, which is great. Definitely. Mm -hmm. The six basic needs are also really good barometer to understand your relationships. So we're going to try a little exercise. Exercise. We haven't done an exercise in a while. Per usual, go ahead and get a piece of paper. I want you to have something to write down on. Obviously, once again, if you're driving or unable to write for some reason, just try to make a note of the time so that you can come back to the spot and give this a little try. If you're driving a Tesla, just pull right on over. I want you to think about your relationship. If you are in an intimate relationship, if you are married or in a long-term relationship of some sort, or even maybe a situationship, it'd be okay to like look at that a little bit. Why did you stare at me? I just like to look at you. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, felt, I felt a little targeted. <laughs> I'm not the demographic. That was unintentional. <laughs> you could also use this format for a close friendship. On the left-hand side, write down in a column the six needs. Don't worry, I'm going to say them again. And then write your name at the top and your partner's name next to that. So you kind of have two columns and then six rows on the side. I'm going to put an example of it in the show notes so that you guys can, can look at it too. Here are the needs again. Number one, certainty or comfort. Number two, variety or variability. Number three, significance or importance. Number four, love or connection. And those, remember, those four are the needs of the personality. Number five is growth. And number six is contribution. So once you have a chance to write those down, that's when you're going to ask yourself some questions, thinking about your relationship. So I'm going to use... Uh, myself and my partner as an example for this exercise. Shane is going to be in the hot seat this time. I'm in the hot seat. I don't have to cry this week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm hoping I won't cry. (laughs) No, you shouldn't. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to start with number one. We're starting with you, correct? Yes. Yes. So this is me thinking about my relationship and my, my partner to me from, from my perspective. How does my partner meet these needs for me? Yes. So how does your partner then meet certainty and comfort? When I think about staying in a relationship, feeling stable, feeling certain that she's not going to leave, I would say I'm probably at a nine for that. And the reason I say nine is because I have some internalized fear. Sometimes I worry about being rejected you know, there's some rejection stuff that I still have to work on. So I don't even know if it's a nine because of her specifically, but I would say it's, it's, it's hard to get to a 10 for me on that just because of well, my, my own stuff, I think. Well, it's still cool that it's still like up there as a nine because sometimes something like that being a hurdle would knock, yeah. would knock the number down way more mm-hmm. from your partner. What would the variety and the variability be? It's an interesting question because for me, variety and variability is a lot about like surprise things to like light you up and make you feel like excited and happy and passionate. And so at this stage, 
I would say, I would say a six. I I would definitely say that um, we don't live together yet, although we're trying to get a house. So that definitely gives some variety. (laughs) That's hard, but it's definitely come up a lot, which is good. I think, I think we're really growing in that way together, which is good. Good. Significance and importance. I would say an eight for significance. And I, I just, I want to note too, that because I, for those of you who don't know, I have inattentive ADHD. um, And a piece of that is this part called rejection sensitive dysphoria. And it's something that's really hard. It makes me sort of primed for any type of criticism or any type of thing that feels like rejection. So sometimes like feeling like I'm not someone's main focus all the time, like that can flare up, even though I know logically it doesn't make sense that I'm going to be like this person's only thing ever. Like that's, I mean, I know that's crazy, but um, it it can flare up a little bit. And so I think that impacts the significance thing. But if I had to look at it from like a logical place and an emotional place, I think, I think an eight's probably appropriate. Okay. So from your partner, how would you view the love and connection aspect? That's interesting question. (laughs) I, I guess I would say a six and I think that probably will go up once we live together. I think we're both really busy and we have a lot going on. So sometimes you just don't have time for the connection. Um, And then if other things happen and our, our minds are scattered, I definitely think it's something that we have to really focus on and be intentional about. And I don't know that we do that as much as we could. And like we said too, this is like your point of view of your partner. And then like, obviously your partner is going to have a different point of view and like scores. Yeah. Well. Oh, very so, much so. Yeah. So it's not like, yeah, mm-hmm. like it's definitely perception based and yeah, totally. What about growth from your partner? Growth is going to be high. And I, I think that that because that comes from actually having a lot of conversations like this and being able to communicate and totally. move through things like our growth level is high. I'd say it's a nine for sure. Okay. And that's prob that one is probably as close to 10 as any of the other ones. Um, but I don't know that I would give it quite a 10, maybe like a 9.5. But we we are growing and learning together every single day, which actually increases the numbers of the other ones too, which is good. Well, also the fields that you both entered, that definitely helps. Oh, for sure, for sure. That that helps a lot. And then the last one, contribution. What would you rate it? Contribution, I would say that's a seven. I it's definitely increased quite a bit. And, you know, sometimes my emotional state impacts that kind of stuff too. It's hard because you can't really like take your emotional self out of it because it's just, it's a feeling, you know, a lot of times. Um, And I also think that, you know, love languages and kind of knowing how to show up for each other and how to contribute to the other person's needs is something that's really important. And so I, I would say a seven that, which is good. Definitely. So those are the ones for me. Yeah, I wrote them down too, just in case. But oh, good. I don't have to try to keep track. <laughs> yes. Now you have to be your partner. Okay. Which that's definitely going to be a little bit of a challenge because sometimes it's hard for us to get out of our own yes. conscious yes. thoughts and when I've views. done this with clients, it definitely 
And I, I could tell that they weren't being entirely truthful. And I don't it's know if it, I don't know if it was because they were intentionally being truthful or they just couldn't quite see it from the other person's perspective. Well, sometimes but, we have an idea and then sometimes it's not the exact yes, thing. Yes. And that has happened to me because I've done this exercise for myself and I've also done it with my partner. And sometimes her answers are surprising. Definitely. I yeah. mean, I think about... I mean, let's just say like certainty, for example, I could assume someone in my life that I'm close to like, oh, they definitely feel a high score for that. And then they hit me with actually, no, it's much lower. And but it just wasn't a conversation or something or like because I couldn't actually like be in their body. So it was yeah, I was like, oh, OK, yeah. <laughs> like, that was, you know, yeah. sometimes it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be Melissa. Correct. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Okay, so Melissa. <laughs> yeah. From um, Shana, what would be your certainty and comfort level? What would you rate it? So how certain I am that she wouldn't leave me? Yes. I feel like that's a 10. Okay. Because as Shana, I think she knows I'm like an octopus with all those tentacles. Like, I'm never letting you go. I'm going to keep you in my beak. <laughs> That that's an analogy that for some sure. Imagery. <laughs> <laughs> that is an image. Yeah. Okay, I'm back to Melissa again. Go ahead. So, variety and variability. What do you think Shana provides? Sometimes she provides that in a negative way. <laughs> Does uh, that makes the score higher, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe not necessarily the greatest. I would say a seven. Okay. Okay. Do you have any thought like why, why a seven? I think that she does a lot of things for me that, that surprise me. Like she shows up at my house with bagels and coffee and, you know, will kind of come over, leave things for me, leave notes for me and things like that. So those kinds of things are good. And she also is a very emotional person and has a lot of, Um, ups and downs, which is variable for me and sometimes hard to manage. So sometimes we hit this in in positive and more challenging ways. Gotcha. Yeah. But I definitely think it's a higher score. So I think seven is probably right. Okay. So significance and importance. How significant does she make me feel? Correct. I feel like that's like a nine. Sometimes maybe too significant. (laughs) (laughs) like too much focus on me maybe but you know i i definitely am something that's really important to her and that she's focused on a lot so i think that's really high that one would be really hard for me to be biased or unbiased i mean it'd be easy to be biased (laughs) because yeah that's hard for me to because sometimes say well like what does melissa think yeah it's well and not even just that specific situation but just it's ironic because it's like sometimes we feel like we um, are more like important or significant or like we offer that more. And then sometimes maybe we don't. But then, of course, from our point of view, we're like, well, no, we do. <laughs> but maybe that's like missing yeah, on the other really, end. So it's yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to kind of step into like Melissa's thought process around it because. I might feel internally like she's very significant and I portray that a lot, but she might not necessarily feel that way as often. But 
the all you can do is the best you can do. <laughs> you do the best you can do. No, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, but. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So love and connection from Shayna. How loved do I feel from Shayna? I feel like that's a 10. <laughs> and of course, now, like as myself, I'm like thinking about this going, am I rating myself? like extra high to make myself feel better. Well, but all the I really scores are higher. Like, I do moment. feel like they're, it's accurate. And it can be. <laughs> I, I mean, be. maybe, maybe it is. I'm going to ask her when I get home, maybe I'll put that in the oh. show notes. What are Melissa's oh, you real should answers? Have her rate without looking and yeah, compare the numbers and see yeah. how close it was. We'll see. How, yeah. I, I think I'll do that. So we have growth next. I, th- I think, I feel like she'd say that was a 10 too. <laughs> And, and the reason I say that is because we both are working so hard on growing and learning and changing together. And we're trying to buy a house together and like yeah. do all these things. So that one, I feel like is very, I, th- I feel like that one's accurate at least. <laughs> Maybe the other ones I'm not so good at, but no, I no. didn't really think this was going to be this hard. <laughs> and then the last one is contribution. How much does Shana contribute to Melissa? I think she would say a nine. (laughs) I feel like I made myself like look extra good. Every number is higher, which is interesting because now that I feel like, I feel like she does think really highly of me though, which is nice. Well, maybe I'm like, Am I overly critical? Boy, I feel like I'm, am I in a therapy session right now? Like I really feel like, like, cause you just said that you think you believe she views you highly if I'm going to like bear all right now, yeah. it's like, she definitely is kinder than me. Like in this realm. Okay. Oh, my I... Venus is in Capricorn. <laughs> so I... For all those astrology people out there. <laughs> Regardless if I'm a crab or a Sagittarius or whatever, yeah. like I, I can understand being too critical or judgmental yeah. and having that affect mm-hmm. my perception. It's definitely something that I fight against is this idea of not being overly critical of her and like really moving into that space. Remember, I, I, you know, I, I struggle with significance and the idea of significance is like, I have to be the most important person that I can be overly critical. I, my mother who has passed away and I, we truly had a a fantastic relationship when she passed when I was young during my my pre-programming in my early years, you know, she was a highly critical person um, towards me. And so I think I can slip into that space sometimes and be overly critical, but Melissa isn't really like that with me. Okay. She's much gentler and, and often much kinder than I am. And she tends to see the best in me, which is probably one of the reasons why I love her. The numbers could be accurate, but but maybe mine are like a little bit more picky and and critical. Well, I think I think about myself, for example, how there's certain people that I believe I am very significant and important to, but mm-hmm. then maybe my judgment or criticalness was actually making them feel less important and significant. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's possible that some of those numbers might be a little bit lower, but I also feel like right now things yeah, oh, are in yeah. such a good space yeah. right now that I think the numbers are higher. And yeah. for me, because I'm an emotional person sometimes, 
my, my numbers can fluctuate depending on how I feel about that. I think for either you two or anyone, the numbers are always going to fluctuate depending yeah. on oh, what absolutely. happens in the day. And mm-hmm. they really, the idea is, is to give you a talking point. This is a space of growth, right? You move into the space of growth and contribution and understanding how your partner feels, how you feel in that space. And you get to say like these ones that aren't tens, what does it look like? What does our life look like when everything is a 10? If all of your needs were met at tens, what would it look like? If all of my needs were met at a 10, what would it look like? I don't even know if I could imagine that because it's like when certain things have been dysfunctional for so long, it's like, that's kind of like, I mean, I'm someone that has anxiety and depression and I've Mm -hmm. always thought about like what if I didn't have those so in a way like if I was tens and it's like what would I do (laughs) if I'm not struggling you know like what do you do next yes is that is that game (laughs) I think that's growth yeah I mean because essentially you have what anything that you follow I am with becomes your identity mm-hmm. becomes it becomes your experience of yourself it's a very powerful statement when you say i am something whatever that something is becomes part of your identity if you say it enough it really becomes who you are and therefore your life becomes an experience based on who you believe you are and that's what you start to see and so if you say like i am anxious and depressed even if you are like i don't want you to be like oh i'm not i'm going to deny that part of myself that's that's not what i mean but that has a certain power over your experience of life. And so those are the things that that are going to show up and it becomes who you believe you are. It's part of your identity. And so what you said was like, who am I if I don't have this? And a lot of times we get stuck in that. But and that's why in one of the episodes, I think maybe it was the core belief episode, we we're sort of talking about you get to decide who you are. You get to make your own identity. You get to become whoever you want to become. People change all the time. People are not, I'm not the same person I was when I was 20. I know you're not the same person you were. We change all the time, but we can decide who we're going to change into, or we can just have it happen as a reaction to our experiences. You mean I don't have to suffer and stress and struggle? But no, you don't have to suffer. I get, yeah, I I meant that partly as a joke, but partly as like, we sometimes, at least speaking for myself, choose that without really wanting to choose that. Oh, absolutely. And it's because we convince ourselves that that's the truth of who we are. Yeah, That's certainty, right? So if we talk, loop it back to the needs, I'm certain that this is who I am in the world. And I'm going to continue to make choices that are in line with who I am certain that I am. Sometimes who we're certain we are is not great. I definitely know when you're looking at these numbers and where you're talking about it and trying to decide like, who are we? How do we get to tens in these in these spaces? This is something that's supposed to be a growth and contribution space. It's sometimes it's hard to to look at that, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing to kind of know where you're at because if you understand where you're at, then you can understand how to build. Or even what does one point higher on each of these look like? And and you guys get to grow and build from there and learn about each other. And so even in a friendship, like if you and I were to do this and I'd be like, how certain am I that Frank is never going to dump me off as a friend, that he's going to be around forever, you know, and the number that I give, you get to look at and be like, oh, dang, that might be, it could be good, could be bad. I'm not going to tell you my number right now, So, (laughs) but, but it gives you a talking point. It gives you a say of like, oh, well, why is this low or why is this high? Like, 
Oh, really? You feel this way about me? I didn't know that. And so it gives you that chance to explore, which I, I mean, understanding who we are as people and forming those connections is some of the most important stuff we'll ever do. Definitely. So I encourage you to think about these needs and how they show up in your life. Talk to your partner. If you want them to do the exercise with you, that's a really good thing to do. Figure out how you meet your needs and which ones are your drivers. We generally have two main needs that are our drivers. Most often, there are certainty and significance. If you're in a lot of pain, you can probably guarantee that those are in there. If those are your two two drivers, you want to try to see if you can shift to something that serves you better. And it's a choice you have to make over and over again. I do this all the time. Like I said, I, you know, I want to be in contribution. I want to be in that space, but sometimes I slip over to significance and I can tell because I shift in pain. So growth and contribution is really kind of the, the gateway to everything. And you're going to be happier and more fulfilled the more you stay in that space. I'm going to add the resources in the show notes to Tony's work on the six human needs. I'll put in the Maslow's hierarchy so you can kind of see how that goes. I know we didn't talk too much about it, but it kind of gives you a a different perspective on needs. And we'll make sure, you know, we link any other additional resources that we referenced, you know, in talking about it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this gives you some insight into yourself and into your relationships. I hope this helps you grow and bond together and grow as a couple, as friends, as people in relationship. Feel free to let us know about your experience with the exercise like we talked about before. Any feedback that you guys give us is great. Be well, and we will see you next time. If you want to share your experience, write a comment or contact us on Instagram at relationfixpod or email us at relationfixpodcast at gmail.com and tell us about it. All this information will be available in the show notes as well. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share it with your loved ones. 